here, Lord. We don't take it for granted. We know that, Lord, there are millions of people that love you that would love to have this freedom and they don't have it today, Father. So we thank you for all the freedom that we have. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, let us see something new today, let us hear something new. Uh, Lord, let us see Jesus in the pages of this book we call the Bible. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Well, if you're joining us, which is a lot of you, (laughs) for the first time in a long time, we've been on a bit of a journey for about the last eight weeks. We've been looking at a statement that Jesus made. That statement can be found in Luke 22 and verse 20. Jesus said this. He was sharing a meal. We call it the Last Supper, but if we can remove our Western Bible-educated brains for a second and go back to that moment in time, it was actually a celebration called the Passover. And the Passover celebration already had a whole bunch of stuff attached to it. And if I can cut it down in a nutshell, the Passover was really about remembering God's deliverance through a man called Moses out of slavery in Egypt. So Jesus stands up and he says... This to them. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. I'm using the New Living Translation Bible there. If you're reading, go on. Mine says different. It says the same thing, just different words. It says, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus had this theme throughout his life as he walked earth, where, where he would not necessarily pit himself against, but others would pit him up against Moses. You go back, and and I'm not going to go over the whole thing now, but if you go back, you'll see consistently the people of his day coming up to him saying, well, the law says this. What they're really saying is Moses told us this. Moses gave us these instructions. Moses said this. A woman caught in adultery, what do they say? The law says we should stone her. Um, Jesus gets challenged on several occasions on the stuff that Moses had taught uh, these people. In other words, the old agreement, the Ten Commandments, uh, Jesus quite often was challenged. It was Jesus versus Moses. If you go back and you read uh, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you'll see a lot of these clashes where it's Jesus and Moses and they're putting them up against each other. And so Jesus came and he says here in this statement that one of the reasons that came was to be the initiator of a new agreement. So I want you to imagine that there's an old agreement between God and Israel. And they've had this for thousands of years, and this agreement works a certain way. And the agreement is very much based on blessing and cursing. And it's very much based on your performance as a nation. If you do well, I'll tick and and, and you'll be blessed. And if you do poorly, then I'll actually curse you. Go back, you read Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30. God was the instigator of the blessings of Israel, but God also said, I will be the instigator of all the curses too. If you don't perform up to scratch, here's the consequences. This is the agreement that God had with them. Jesus comes along and Jesus says, I'm initiating something new. When Jesus came, he said, I don't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but he used this word, he said, I came to fulfill. What that word means is I've come to bring to its intended end. In other words, that old agreement that God had with the nation had an intended end. It had a use-by date. And Jesus said, in the scope of human history, when I came, one of the reasons why I've come is to mark the use-by date of the old agreement and to open the door to a brand new agreement. So we've been looking at, for the last eight, nine, ten maybe weeks, what does this new agreement look like? Because here's the thing, I want you to think, you are not of God to just sit in a church. You're not called just to cluster together as a bunch of believers and high-five each other and, and live a happy life. 
We were called to something more than that. When Jesus instigated this thing called the church, it wasn't a bunch of stagnant wells. The church was a literal movement. It was a movement of people going somewhere. And where did that movement go? It went to every nation of the earth with a message. What was the message? The message was about an event in human history called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith is based on an event, not based on a book. Okay, Our faith is based on an event, something that actually happened. And the early church were a movement who took that event that they witnessed, that they saw, they experienced, and they went about the world saying, hey, we have seen something so amazing. We witnessed an event that proves that this man Jesus was God. And if this man Jesus was God, then we better listen to everything else that this man Jesus had to say. So as far as this new movement of God goes, the central figure in our movement should be the person of Jesus Christ. The central ethic of the new movement is the ethic of Jesus. The central teaching of the new movement is the teaching of Jesus. The central everything of this new movement is Jesus Christ. But here's what the church has done for a very long time. And we've been on a bit of a journey walking through this. And here's what happens is there are many of us that live in the new movement of God under the new agreement, but we have so many mindsets that are still the old agreement. And we wonder why we can't break free and fully enjoy the life that Jesus came to give us. A couple of classic examples under the old agreement. You do wrong, you get cursed. You do right, you get blessed. How many of you have ever seen a Christian, somebody that loves God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength, a great person, and all of a sudden some massive tragedy has befallen them. Maybe they've gotten sick, they've contracted cancer, or maybe they've gone bankrupt and lost their business. And how many times have we have people looked, I'm not saying you've done this, but you would know people who have, we look across and we go, oh, I wonder what they did wrong. Something bad happened, you must have done something wrong. You must have disappointed God for this to happen because if you're not disappointing God, hey, life is all roses and sweet smells, isn't it? Of course it's not. Of course it's not. But under the old agreement, that was the mentality. Israel, If Israel were in a bad place, they understood why because we've done something wrong. We have disobeyed God. So we better get our act together and start obeying God so that God's blessing can come back upon us. How many of you remember, some of you might be too young, but September 11 when those planes hit the building, I was disgusted at how many people, preachers all around the world, started getting on their bandwagon saying, this is God's judgment of America. Where's that thinking coming from? That God is now judging that entire nation because they're not doing right things. Where's that mentality coming from? Is that the new mentality that Jesus talks about? I want you to imagine if you're this new movement of God and things are going okay and a man called Stephen stands up and begins to preach to a bunch of religious hypocrites about who Jesus was and he nails them and they pick up stones and they kill him in front of their very eyes. Hang on a second. Whatever happened to do the right thing, get blessed, do the wrong thing, get hurt. Here he is doing the right thing and what happened? Stephen gets stoned in front of their very eyes. This new agreement that we live under is different to the old agreement. And so we've been slowly chipping away at what the differences are. And last week and this week, I want to wrap it up this week, we're just grabbing all those loose strings and pulling them all together. And I'm just breaking it down to six simple differences, six things that we can put our fingers on that show the difference between the old and the new agreement. So the first three, we've already gone through them. The first one, the old agreement was between God and a nation. 
It was literally between God and a nation. God loves all people, but God chose a specific nation out of all the nations of the earth. He could have chose any nation he wanted, but he chose this nation that became known as Israel, and God made an agreement with them. And that's why throughout what we call the Old Testament, it's really about God and that nation. There's not a lot to do with others. God uses other nations at different times, but it's really the storyline of God and his interactions with a nation because God made an agreement with that nation. And we've been through, I'm not going to go over it now, you can go to the podcast and listen back for the last eight, ten weeks. But there's reason why God chose a nation. It was between God and a nation. The new agreement is between God and people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. All of a sudden, because of this new agreement, you and me, hand up if you're a Jew in this room. Who's a Jew? Any Jewish people here? We've got one? Yep, awesome. The rest of you, if Jesus didn't come and come up with a new agreement, guess what? You're in trouble. You're in trouble. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, he opened up a new agreement. He brought a new agreement, put it on the table. And because of that new agreement, you and I can now have a relationship with God. We can be restored back to him. So one difference, first point of difference in the old and the new is the old was between God and a nation. The new is between God and individuals of every nation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, even if you're not Jewish anymore. Isn't that great? That's exciting. That's exciting. Second one that we've been looking at. Israel rose on the back of its great faith in God. So whenever Israel were doing well and had great faith in God, men they were victorious, they were taken on the world. But the problem is they fell on the back of it as well. Every time they'd adopt foreign gods and every time they'd decide that, that they could do things on their own, well, guess what God would do? He'd go, right, yeah, no worries. You know the agreement. The agreement is that if you do really well, I'll bless you. You turn your back and you start doing bad, I'll curse you. That's the agreement that God had with them. The new agreement... Under the new agreement, the church rises in the back of God's great faith in men. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? You know what? You have a look at the 12 disciples in Jesus' most important time of need. What did they do? Most of them just took off and left him. (laughs) They took off and left him. Isn't it wonderful to know that this new movement that we're a part of, it will succeed and it will go forward and it will rise because God has great faith in us. God could have done this any other way, but he didn't. He had one plan. That plan was you and me, that we would take this new agreement, this message, and we would take it to the nations of the earth. Jesus didn't wipe his hands. He didn't get those 12 together after the resurrection, sit them down and go, you guys have blown it big time. Here I am, I told you, and you didn't believe me. Well, you guys are gone. Best of luck with it, you know, and disappear off into eternity. Jesus didn't do that. He lovingly restored them, and he gave them a commission, and he sent them out, just like he does with you and me. If we were under the old agreement, and you blew it, you're in trouble. But we're under grace. It's not law anymore. We're under grace. It's a totally new agreement. And praise God that he has faith in you. I want you to understand that today. God has faith in you. Okay, You're going to make it to that place where you need to in life, as long as you continue to love God. Just focus on loving God. God will take you to that place where you need to be. Take the pressure off yourself. It's not all about you. You do not hold God in the palm of your hand. God holds you in the palm of his. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? So you can be all you're meant to be. You can succeed. You can land in the right space by just keeping your eyes on Jesus. Don't stress about it. Just love God, love people, and the Holy Spirit will lead you. He'll take you where you need to go. So the second thing, rise on the back of its great faith in God. Israel did under the new agreement. The church rise on the back of its great faith, uh, God's great faith in man. The third point, the old agreement called for legal requirements to be met. In other words, here's the rule book. Now you have to do it. So you need to meet legal requirements in order to maintain relationship with God. Under the new agreement, it calls for loving responses to be made. Loving responses to be made. Totally different. We don't, we don't pray now because it's a legal requirement. God's not up there going, if you don't pray, read your Bible, go to church, I'll cut you from the team. 
Isn't that wonderful? God's not sitting up there saying that because then the next question is, okay, I'm praying, reading in my Bible, and I'm coming to church. But hang on, I don't know how much time I've got to spend each day praying because it doesn't tell me. I don't know how many chapters of the Bible I'm supposed to read because no one, it doesn't say it in there. And I don't know how many times I've got to gather together with you in a week to make it right. Uh, I don't know all this stuff. What's enough? Well, under the new agreement, we're not called for any legal requirements to be met whatsoever. Jesus met every legal requirement when he was crucified on that cross. What God wants out of his new movement, the church, is not us being legalistic, thinking that we've got to please God by obeying the rules. He wants us to respond to him out of love for him. Respond to him out of a love that we already have. We've already received my wife. I've told this story a few times, but my wife brought me some clothes many years ago. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but every now and then I do pick something up. And we were going to a wedding, and I went out and I was doing some work. Came home and she'd broken in to my caravan. She broke in to my caravan. Just giving you a little hint into what I live with. She broke into my caravan. This woman did. She broke in. And um, and I go to my bed and on my bed is this beautiful um, collared shirt with nice print on it. Flowers, I think it might have been. Beautiful blue thing and a beautiful black pair of slacks. Anyone know what slacks are? It doesn't mean you're not performing well. They used to be a type of pants. Slacks, yeah, exactly. Really not, and, 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 and stuff, and, and a pair of shoes too, I think. And might have even been socks. She went the whole kit and caboodle. Um, and so anyway, I see these things on the bed and I thought, oh, I think I know what you're trying to say. So what did I do? I put that stuff on, I got all dressed up, I went and I picked her up and we went to this friends of ours wedding and we had a great time. Now here's the thing, I didn't put those clothes on to get her love. If I felt like I had to do that to make her love me, I probably wouldn't have done it. I did it out of a response to the fact that I knew I already had her love. And because she already loved me, I was prepared to do that. And that's what God wants from us under this new agreement. God doesn't want you to pray because you feel like you've got to do it for him to love you. You need to be secure right now. God can't love you any more than he does at this very moment. And I know there are people sitting here and you're going, but you don't know me. Who cares that I don't know you? The God that chooses to love you knows you. And he still chooses to love you. He still chooses to say, hey, I don't want you serving me like some kind of slave. Don't pray to get God's love. I pray out of a response to the fact that I've already got his love. And because he loves me, man, I love to pray. I don't pick up this book and read it because I'm trying to get brownie points with God so he'll love me. I pick up this book and read it because it's a loving response to, to a love I already have. Why would I not want to get to know him? Why would I not want to read about the life of this man that saved my life? Why would I not want to understand how God sees me? Why would I not want that stuff in me? Why would I not want to gather with other people that believe that? I'm not doing this to get brownie points with God. I hope you're not here at church because you think that that means for the next seven days God loves you. I hope you're here because you want to be. Out of a loving response to a love that you already have. That's why we do what we do. We call these things. That's why I don't like the term the spiritual disciplines. Discipline sounds... I understand what we're saying when we say spiritual disciplines of prayer and, and, and attending church and reading the Bible. I understand what we mean by it. But discipline can sometimes not communicate the real heart of it. The heart of it is it's simply a loving response back to God. And if you are doing these things out of religious ritual, let me encourage you to do one thing. Go back into the pages of these ancient documents that we've compiled together that we today call the Bible. Go back into those pages and read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And then when you finish, go back, read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Read the words of Jesus. Have a look at what he says about you. It's pretty awesome. He's madly, passionately in love with you, whether you like it or not, whether you've accepted it yet or not. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore and there's nothing you're going to do that's going to make him turn his back on you and say, I don't love you anymore. You know why? Because he made an agreement on the cross and it's a new agreement. It's not based on works and performance, not based on law, it's based on his love and it's based on his grace. That's the third one. Moving on today, I want to quickly wrap up the next three uh, points there. Uh, Point number four, the old agreement reminds man of his sin, whereas the new agreement, God wants us to be reminded 
of our forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 to 3 says this. It says the old system, we're speaking about the old agreement, the way things worked under that. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were, watch this, never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. In other words, Israel kept going through these rituals week after week after week. If they were doing anything of of, of eternal significance, if there was any perfection in the sacrifices, then they would have been able to be stopped. They couldn't stop them. Why? Because they were never, ever going to fulfill the desired result of, of the shedding of blood, which was to completely forgive man of sin. So they just kept on going through these religious rituals. can sound a little bit like us sometimes today, doesn't it? Sometimes I wonder if anyone's sitting here now and you're going, yeah, that's what my Bible reading's like. It's just like a religious ritual to try to get something from God. Or my, 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 my prayer time is a religious ritual. Well, you know what? You're missing out. If that's what you think, you're missing out. God wants you to do those things out of a loving response to him. God doesn't want us to be consciously aware of sin, running around like we're sinners. You know, God wants us running around going, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven. Under the new agreement, I'm forgiven. Here's what it says. In verse 2, it says, If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. How many of us live under these constant feelings of guilt? Why? Because we're focused on the mistake we made, and we feel like we've got to go a certain amount of time, we'll do something to prove to God that I'm really sorry for that. Like God's sitting there going, Well, you've just undone all the blood of Jesus in that mistake. You've just put Jesus right back into the tomb because of that mistake you made. And until you can do something miraculous and supernatural, he's not coming back out and the blood won't be poured on you again. This is, this is, this is not what we would articulate, but this is what we say when we live under that stuff. In verse 3, it says, But instead, those sacrifices, speaking of the blood of bulls and guts under the old agreement, look at this, those sacrifices actually what reminded them of their sins year after year. All the old system did, every time they spilled blood, it was a reminder to them, you're a sinner. It was a reminder to them that you're a sinner. In other words, the old agreement made the people sin conscious. Under the old agreement, mankind, God's people were sin conscious. They were conscious of sin. Under the new agreement, God wants his church to be focused on our forgiveness, not our sins. He wants us to be focused on forgiveness, not sins. What are you focused on right now? Because one will lead to life, one will keep you in bondage and lead to death. Uh, many years back, my wife, she came home one day and she had this beautiful dress. And uh, I want you to imagine we're in the kitchen, right? And she puts this dress down on a table. And she says, what do you think of this? And I said, what? And she said, this dress. And she puts it there. And I'm looking at the dress and, and this is one for all you men, all you married men and those that will get married one day. Lock this in. Take notes on this point. This will do you wonders. And so what I did was this. She's there, and she's looking at this, this dress. Is there, and I'm looking at it like this, and I'm going, just step back a bit, can you, Jackie? So the dress is there, so she takes a couple more steps back. And I'm looking at it, and I'm just take a few more steps back. And she's like, oh, whatever, a few more steps away. And I'm still looking at the dress, and I'm going, mm, can you just go a bit further away? Oh. And I'm still looking a bit, and I'm uh, umming and ahhing, and go, can you go right over to the side of the room? Oh, what are, you, what are you doing? Why do I have to get away from the dress? I said, well, because, Jackie, standing next to you, that dress looks like a pile of rubbish. That was good. I've never forgot it. It was that good. And you'll never forget it either. Try it once. You'll never forget it. See, what are you focused on? What are you focused on? Under the new agreement, God wants us to be focused on that which is most beautiful, prominent, and powerful. That's his death on the cross, the blood of Christ, not our own human weakness. Amen? 
Just like that dress. As long as I have my, my wife there, look, you know what? They're both there vying for my focus and my attention, but I want to keep my attention on the right things. And you can walk around as a person under this new agreement, kicking yourself, saying, I'm a sinner, I'm a guilty sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Or you can walk around being excited about the fact that you have actually been forgiven. You know, there was one sacrifice and one only for your forgiveness. How many of us, we make a mistake, we fall short, and we feel like we've got to work our way back into that state of forgiveness again. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We've all got our different things we do. Maybe it's a religious ritual. Maybe it's a time frame. I've just got to go X amount of days without doing that again. And that proves to God that I agree with him, that I'm a sinner and that I need help and that it's no good. And so you can live that way if you want. But you will not experience the life that Jesus came to give because you're still living with mentalities of the old. Here's the truth. Jesus died once for sin 2,000 years ago. And when he died on that cross, that was the last sacrifice. Why do we feel like we've got to perform some other type of modern-day sacrifice to get forgiveness again? You are forgiven by God. Amen? You're forgiven by God right now. You can't get any more forgiven. Does that mean that you don't sin and fall short? Of course you do. But what do you do when you sin? Do you grovel back to God? Or do you stand up and go, you know what? The fact that I know I've done the wrong thing, I'm agreeing with you, God. Thank you that I'm forgiven. And I pick myself up and I keep on walking forward. Because I'm a work in progress and so are you. And God loves us regardless. God loves us regardless. Under the new agreement, God wants us to be focused on that which is most beautiful, prominent and powerful. I read a statement recently, you can't drive forward by looking in the rearview mirror. And that's what many of us are doing. We're looking in the rearview mirror under the old agreement. We're looking at sin when we should be looking forward. We're a forgiven people. Our message to the world is a message of forgiveness, not a message that all about sin. You know, the world's filthy and you're all sinners and you go, no, no. Our message is, you know what, not even that interested in that because all of that stuff, Jesus took care of it 2,000 years ago. There's an invitation written out with your name on it. What I want to do is talk to you about the invitation. I want you to come. I want you to accept the invitation to eternal life. I want you to accept the invitation for freedom, the invitation of forgiveness. I want you to accept what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. Uh, Charles Spurgeon made this statement once. He said this, and I love it. He said, not, let not a libation of tears. I've got to let, let not a libation of tears be the only offering at the shrine of Jesus. Let us also rejoice with joy unspeakable. If we have need to lament our sin, how much more to rejoice at our pardon? I love that. How, how many of us have got it the other way around? We spend too much time lamenting our sin instead of rejoicing in the pardon that was given to us. Amen? You want to live the life and be a part of this new movement of God? You want to go forward and do things? Then let's start focusing on the fact that we are forgiven. Stop kicking yourself. Stop talking about yourself as a sinner. Stop seeing yourself as a sinner. You were a sinner, but you've been saved by grace. So through the eyes of God right now, you're forgiven. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And please don't have the yo-yo theology that when I sin, God's you know, spirit comes off me and when I don't sin, it comes back down. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think that comes from? It comes from this old mentality. And we still hear people preaching and talking like that. Oh, when you sin, Jesus leaves the room. No, he doesn't leave the room because he's not there because of your perfection and then disappears because of your imperfection. He's there because of his perfection and his commitment to you. Amen? He loves you. God loves me because he decided to. He chose to. I'm not dictating to him. I'm not making him love me or making him hate me. He made a decision to love me 2,000 years ago. For God so loved the world, it doesn't say for God so hated sin. God is not sin conscious. He's forgiveness conscious. And he offers us forgiveness. And in that forgiveness, we find love and acceptance. And out of that, there's a loving response on our behalf. And we begin that process of transformation and change. So what empowers us to rejoice more in the pardon than to lament more in the sin? Well, point number five. Under the old agreement, your sin was only covered, temporarily dealt with. Why do you think they had to do the sacrifices every week? 
Why didn't they just go, look, you know what? We're not going to schedule it in next week. Let's wait and see how, how good you go first. We might not need to do it. You could have a great week. You have a really good week and you're free from sin. Why waste our time getting back together? It's a waste of time. But you know what they did? No, no. They had this locked into the calendar week after week, day after day, year after year, century after It was locked into the calendar. This was going to happen. Why? Because we expect you to fall again. We expect you to fall short and we're expecting sin. What empowers us to rejoice more in the pardon and lament the sin? Under the old, sin was only covered, temporarily dealt with. Under the new agreement, your sin is actually removed. It's not just covered up, but it was literally taken away. Think about that. Under the old, the blood of bulls and goats covered sin. The blood of Jesus takes it away. The fact that these sacrifices were perpetual events in the calendar, there was an expectation of continuous sin under the old agreement. Because they were sin conscious and that was their focus. Performance was the focus. Under the new, it's not meant to be like that. This is what they were basically saying. We know we're going to fall short again, so let's lock in another date in advance. Okay? We know we're going to fall short, so let's lock in another sacrifice because we know we're going to need it. You know, where is the expectation that we can change, be transformed, that we can be conformed in the image of something other than ourselves? Where's the expectation that we can become fully human again and perhaps start a journey towards being the people that God wants us to be? It wasn't there because that's not what the old agreement was about and that's not what the old agreement looked like. Jesus' blood did for us that which bulls and goats couldn't do. Hebrews 10.4 says this. It says, It is not possible... For the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's literally not possible. All those sacrifices year after year, day after day under the old were done with a full knowledge that none of these things will really deal with the root of the problem. They'll never deal with the root of the problem. They'll just cover it over. Hebrews 10, 10 to 14. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. You know, you're not made holy by your own performance. We're made holy by something Jesus Christ did. And part of our discipleship process is learning to walk in that holiness, learning to outwork that holiness. I'm not holy because of any of my performance. I'm not unholy because of a bad performance. I'm holy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm learning to walk in that. And I'm allowing God to change me and mold me and shape me so that I can agree with what he says of me and start moving forward, start enjoying this life, start enjoying the authority of God, the power of God, start making a difference on planet Earth the way that he originally intended me to do. For God's will for us was to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all time. Once for all time. Once for all time. Isn't that amazing? What Jesus did 2,000 years ago will never be replicated and does not need to be replicated. It was that powerful that 2,000 years later, sitting here in Ganelabar, whether you, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, what he did 2,000 years ago is that powerful that it can have an instant result in your life right now. All you've got to do is accept and believe. Isn't that amazing? Once for all time. Under the old covenant, the old agreement, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifice again and again, which can what? Never take away sin. Under the old sin could not be taken away, it was just covered. But the blood of Jesus Christ does that which the blood of bulls and that couldn't do, is it takes away sin. Hebrews 10 and verse 18, go forward a few verses, it says this, it says, and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Jesus Christ was the last sacrifice that has ever been required in the eyes of God. There's no other sacrifice to be required. We are forgiven because his sacrifice took away 
our sin. He didn't just simply cover it. I've been, uh, we, we recently bought a house and one of the things in this house we bought was there's these steel uh, candle holder things that were stuck on the outside of the house. Anyway, kind of ugly, but some people in the house really liked them. So I pulled them down and um, I've got them in my in my shed and I've been sanding them back, you know, um, grinding them back and getting all the paint and everything off so I can prime them. And so I got them all back and there was one part of it there and there was rust sitting on it. And, and I just, to be honest with you, I just thought, I'll take a shortcut. I'll just prime really heavily over the top of it and hopefully it sticks the rust down. Anyway, lo and behold, what happens within two or three days, I go down there, have a look at it. Everything else is beautiful where this rust was. Guess what? I just popped the paint up and it's there. You know why? Because you can't cover over rust. It's still there. I can cover over my glasses, but guess what? My glasses are still there, but, but, but they've got to be removed. And sin was covered over, but it was never removed. But with the blood of Jesus, sin is actually removed. Think about it. That's why you can say things such as, look, I, I am sinless. That doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes. doesn't mean I don't fall short. But my identity is not found in my performance under the new agreement. Under the old agreement, my identity was so wrapped up in my performance. The result was so wrapped up in my performance. But under the new agreement, it's different. So I fear that we've lost an understanding of how powerful that moment in history was 2,000 years ago. It's just become another storyline. But if the blood of Jesus did everything that these ancient writers said it did, then, man, we've got a reason to rejoice. An old, old, old mate of mine used to say, rejoice, rejoice, you've got no choice. And I get it now. When I read this stuff and I go, my goodness, this is way better than I ever imagined it could have been. I've got to get off the religious treadmill of trying to please God. I've got to stop thinking like I would under an old agreement between God and Israel. Don't get your theology from the Old Testament. I get my theology from the New. I get my theology and my relationship from what Jesus said and where Jesus was coming from and so on. I don't go back in and go, well, this is what happened to Israel when they sinned. Something bad happened. Therefore, when something bad happens to me, that must be from God. This is where we get all messed up. We don't understand what Jesus said when he said, I've fulfilled that. I've started a brand spanking new agreement. A brand spanking new agreement. This is what Jesus did. And we need to understand that and we need to start to walk in that new agreement. See, this is the reason why under the old, you ever, ever noticed that the Holy Spirit could not abide inside? Under the old covenant, under the old agreement, what did the Holy Spirit do? He rested upon. Because God can't cohabitate with sin. The sin issue was never dealt with. So the Holy Spirit just pops up people for a season and a purpose and a reason, then he would depart. Under the new, what happens? Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, speaking about this new agreement. He says, man, I'm going to take out your heart of stone, I'm going to give you heart of flesh. I'm going to take out your dead spirit, going to give you an alive spirit. Then here's the most amazing thing, I'm going to take my Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to pop it on top of you and take it away when you do bad. He says, I'm going to place my spirit inside of you. And I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. You're not going to be trying to obey some external set of rules. Something's going to happen inside your heart. And you're going to find yourself lovingly responding to me and starting to walk in the things of God. Isn't that exciting? You know why? Because the sin issue has been dealt with. Stop thinking every time I make a mistake or fall short that the Holy Spirit disappears. Some of us think God's got the Holy Spirit on a string like a yo-yo. No, yep, no, yep, no, yep, no. We've got the yo-yo theology of God. Please. Stop thinking like that. You'll never walk into everything God has for you if we keep thinking like that. None of what I have in God is because I'm perfect, because I I don't make mistakes, because I don't fall short. It's because 2,000 years ago, God made a decision that he so loves me that he sent his only son to die for me. It's the love of God that puts us in the position we're in and allows us to walk in the things that we walk in. So let's firmly fix our eyes on Jesus Christ.
the author and perfecter of our faith. And let's live a life where our eyes are firmly fixed upon him and we can become the people that God wants us to be. You see, because I have the Spirit inside of me, because the sin has been removed, because that issue is gone and I'm filled with the Spirit, I can now live with an expectation of change and transformation. Under the old, there was no expectation of personal change and transformation. As a matter of fact, it didn't really matter what was going on too much inside the heart. That's why Jesus, when he came along in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes these statements such as, you've heard it said that, you know, if you commit adultery, it's a bad thing. But I'm going to say to you, if you lust upon a woman, you might as well have done it. What's Jesus saying? Okay, we're changing, transitioning this whole agreement here. It's not about external rules and that now. Now I'm looking into the heart. You've heard it said that if you kill someone, you're guilty of sin. I'm telling you, if you hate someone. What's Jesus saying? He's saying it's not just about performance out here now. I'm not looking at you now as circus monkeys and you better get it right and I'll throw you a biscuit and if you don't, then I'll lock you in the cage. He says, no, no, no. Now because that sin issue has been dealt with, now the relationship becomes a heart relationship between you and God. So now under the new, we can live with an expectation of change and transformation because the Holy Spirit resides inside of me. God wants to speak to me. He wants to lead me. He wants to, to show me things. Why do I respond this way? Why do I get angry? Why was I so frustrated there? Why am I struggling with this sin? Why the, he wants to get in amongst that stuff now and have a relationship with us and talk to us and walk us out of that so we can have an expectation of change. We can have an expectation of transformation. And finally, the last one. I'm running through things really quickly here because I just want to wrap all this up. Number six, the old agreement was law written on stone. It was law written on stone. When Moses came down from the mountain, we just, we just fix on the, on the big ten. You know what I mean? The big ten commandments. But there was actually 600 and, about 630 laws that he came down with. You can read them throughout Leviticus and, and some of the other old... There were 630 laws that the Jews were given. But the big ten were kind of the, the, the big ones. You know, they're the poster child of the, of the legal document. But there were 600 and something rules. And under the old agreement, the law was written on stone. So guess what? You better know your Bible because it's all written down here. So you better know all the written stuff. Under the new, the law is written in the heart. Under this new agreement, the law of God is written on your heart. So guess what? You need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. What did he say in Ezekiel? He says, I'll put my spirit inside you and I'll what? I'll cause you. I'll cause you to walk in my ways. I'll cause you to walk in my ways. You won't obey God because there's some external written bunch of rules and regulations you're trying to keep. You'll start loving God and obeying God because there's this inner unction, this Holy Spirit inside you that's causing you to start to make right choices, that's helping you, empowering you to think the way that you should think, that's, that's gently nudging you down the path that God wants you to go down. Now at this point here, we've just done full circle. This is exactly where we started on this journey about 10 weeks ago. We started at a certain point. How did this movement called the church take on the world? The book of Acts, Luke records the first 30 years of the history of this movement. And the history of this movement is not perfect. There are things written in there that when you understand the cultural context, you shake your head. 18 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and they're still having to have a meeting amongst church leaders in Jerusalem to decide whether Gentiles need to be circumcised yet. 18 years after seeing the nail scars, they still haven't worked it out. Eight years after the resurrection of Jesus, you've got Peter being invited to come to Cornelius' house. And what does he say? He sees this vision of food. He knows it's God speak to him. What does he say back to God? I'm not touching anything that's unclean. Then he goes with Cornelius, this total Gentile person, ends up at Cornelius' house. And what does Peter say? You can read it yourself in the book of Acts. 
Peter says this to Cornelius. He says, now I know. Now I know that I shouldn't call anything unclean that God calls clean. Now I know, eight years after the resurrection, eight years after seeing Jesus' nail-scarred hands and his nail-scarred feet, eight years after seeing the Holy Spirit be released upon different... First of all, the Jews, and then the Samaritans were filled with the Spirit. Eight years later, and and Peter, this guy that sat with Jesus, that was walked with Jesus, eight years later, he's still admitting, I'm still trying to work this whole thing out. But here's the thing, they tried to work it out. And they walked in something different than what we're walking in. And how did they do that? How did they do that without a Bible? How did they do that without a leather-bound collection of 66 books underneath their arm? The first bound uh, collection of books is what they call the Latin Vulgate around 400 AD. St. Jerome, a Latin Catholic priest gathered all these documents together that the church fathers decided were going to be called the Bible, gathered it together. So for the first 400 years, they didn't have this. But they must have had something because they turned the world upside down. What did they have? Man, they lived out of a relationship with God. Am I saying the Bible's bad? No, I'm not at all. What I'm saying is this. We've got all this stuff now. We've got Bibles and we've got 15,000 versions and we've got Bible education and 20-year theology courses and we've got lights and bells and whistles and musicians. We've got all kinds of things. And I've got to be honest and say, are we turning the world upside down? And I hate to say it, but my personal answer is no. We've moved away from something. And we need to start to make the journey back to the very beginning. Let's become again the people... The movement that when Jesus Christ said it's finished, when Jesus was resurrected and he stood with his disciples and he said, go into all the world, he had a movement in mind. He pictured a group of people that loved him. He pictured a group of people that lived aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. He pictured a group of people that would not be ashamed of this good news, this story of a man 2,000 years ago crucified, dead, buried and resurrected. He envisioned a movement of people that would go on into the world and that would make a difference in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what he envisioned. You know, when, when, when Peter and when Paul and all these guys wrote these letters, I don't even think they probably imagined that one day we'd be sitting here And our entire relationship with God would be found in a book and would be bound up in in this. And that we would somehow worship the book more than we actually worship God. That we would worship letters they wrote more than we'd actually worship the living God. I'm not downplaying this book. Please hear what I'm saying. Please hear what I'm saying. This is the word of God. I have no problem with that. It's fully inspired. It's authoritative. I am not at all putting down that. But what I'm saying is this. Those guys didn't have this stuff, but they had a vibrant living relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and they turned the world upside down. That's what they did. Let me finish with this. We're not called to a relationship with a book. We're invited into a relationship with God himself through Jesus Christ. We're invited to live not according to a written code, but according to the leading and promptings of a life-given spirit on the inside of us. John chapter 5, I'll finish with this, verse 39 and 40. I don't know if you can whack that up. Oh, you did. Look at that. He's really good. Looks fantastic. I didn't even set it and you already had it up there. I must have given it to you, did I? Yeah. Jesus, I love this. He's talking to a bunch of really, really religious people. And they know the Bible back to front and they know all the religious rituals. But you know what? They're living under the old still. See, when Jesus came, part of the reason why they couldn't recognize him was because it was new. He wasn't just a continuation of the old. He was something brand spanking new. And I reckon when Jesus, if Jesus walked in here today, we'd freak out. We would freak out. 
If, he, if we gave him a microphone, we'd sit here and go, tilt, tilt, hang on, what's going on? I'm not getting it. No, you're freaking me out, Jesus. I reckon we would. I reckon we would. And some of us need to be freaked out a little bit. Watch this. He says this to these well-learned, well-educated people. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, person. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Life isn't found in obeying rituals. Life isn't found in feeling in your own conscience like you're holy, righteous. Life isn't found in Bible memorization. All those things are good, by the way. Life isn't found in a really long prayer meeting. Life isn't found in living under the old agreement. Life is found under a new agreement with Jesus Christ at the centre, his teachings at the centre, his person at the centre, his ethics as our ethics. And we've been on this bit of a journey now for about 10 weeks. Next week I want to move on to some other stuff, but I just want to uh, pray for us. I know as I've been getting around people in the life of Arise here and chatting that that there are different things that are popping up. I've had a lot of people sit down and talk about, I've always viewed this, or I view that, or I feel this, I feel that, and it's good. I haven't got all the answers for you, but I've been encouraging people in the church, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for the rest of the year. Don't touch another book in the Bible. Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not because they're better than the other books, but because they tell you about Jesus. Let's get back to being a people where Jesus Christ is the central figure of our faith. Our faith revolves around a man called Jesus. It centers around an event called the resurrection. And that will not change and shouldn't change. It doesn't center around the fact that I can explain everything in this book. It doesn't matter whether I think it was a seven literal day creation or seven figurative, whether there were two animals on the ark or five. It doesn't matter whether the city of Caesarea was over here or over there or whether they can't find it. The question for all of us is this. Did Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, was he crucified, buried, and did he raise from the dead? And if the answer to that question is yes, if the answer to that question is yes, then what are we doing with Jesus? Amen? What are we doing with Jesus? Let me just pray. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. God, we, we love the fact that we have this book called the Bible. I love the fact that all these letters are together and we didn't walk in here with all these rolled up bits of parchment. It makes life easy for us, Lord, but at the same time, at the same time, maybe we don't fully get it. God, our relationship is not with a leather-bound book. It's with the living God. We're not saved by the pages of a letter that Paul wrote to someone. We're saved by loving sacrifice of Jesus. And Lord, I pray, would you just continue to speak to us, continue to show us what it means to be the new movement of God, living under a new agreement. And Lord, those areas of our life where we still live under the old, Father, would you lovingly speak to us and would you show us would you open our eyes would you reveal those things to us god we want to be free to run into this new thing that you created us for and to be the people that you want us to be under this new agreement and to reach the world god i i want to be a part of a, a, a group of people who go into a place and those around say these dudes turned the world upside down that's what we want father and we can do it again lord i believe in jesus name and Lord, I pray as we go from this place, watch over everyone today. And in the next seven days, 
Lord, everyone in this room, give all of us the chance to tell one person about Jesus. Give us a chance to tell one person about the love of God. Somebody that up to this point doesn't know about it, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Uh... Oh, thank you, Connor. That's nice. You don't have to do that. Um, My room guys are going to be here for the week, so I'm sure that uh, they wouldn't mind if you wanted to pop in.